Welcome to American Narratives. I'm Marianne Pina. And I'm Joe Fracham. And we're glad to be here today with Fernando Castilla. Fernando, welcome to the studio. Thank you very much for inviting me. This is uh, my pleasure. You know, we're just honored to have Fernando with us. Uh, we've known Fernando and his wife for a couple of years now. And for him to actually take time out to meet with us and really tell us his story is truly an honor. Just real quick, there's no way I can do justice to Fernando's background. It's varied, rich, and interesting, cross-cultural with a number of roles. But high level, Fernando is a dynamic entrepreneurial guy who's been in a number of large companies and progressively larger executive roles in the consumer product group space and the retail space. Uh, some of the larger stops along the way include a 20-year career at PepsiCo, where he finished as senior vice president and chief financial officer and business development officer for PepsiCo International. He also uh, had a long stint within 7-Eleven, where he was the managing director and CEO of 7-Eleven Mexico. And again, a lot of other kind of roles in between and what is a very rich uh, and interesting executive history. Currently, uh, Fernando is overseeing Kilanova Ventures, and they do investments in the area of startups, in real estate, and uh, sustainable kind of projects that help the environment. So a lot more there, but just gives you a little bit of a background around who Fernando is. And again, thank you for coming in. Thank you. Thank you very much. Fernando, we're so glad you're here with us today. Well, let's go ahead and get started. One of the things that we love to learn about our guests is tell, tell us where you're from, where's your family from, um, a little bit about where were you born, and where did you spend your formative years? Yes. Well, I was born and raised in Mexico City. Uh, as you know, Mexico City is a huge city, so uh, I enjoy living there for many years. Uh, I, I went... Uh, my key education uh, and several schools in, in Mexico City. Uh, my parents had always uh, communicated to me this kind of value of education, among other strong values like uh, integrity, generosity, respect for others. So that's what I learned from them. My mother was a, a, a school teacher, elementary school. And my father used to work for a soft drink company. He was a salesperson uh, in charge of uh, one of the districts in uh, Mexico City downtown. Uh, so I learned from them the discipline of hard work. So I started working uh, when I was 15 years old in uh, a CPA uh, firm with one of my uncles. He owned that firm. So I was an administrative assistant, you know, going to the bank, going to customer offices, running errands, these kind of things. So I worked for, for, for that company probably one year. Uh, so when I was going to high school, uh, I went to uh, college. Uh, when, I, when I was a, a child, I was convinced that I wanted to go to a college. I had very good examples from several uncles, uh, mainly from my mother's family. Uh, they were very successful engineers, successful lawyers, uh, doctors. So I was convinced that that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to go to college. That's something that I was convinced to do. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing. You know, you touched a little bit about some of the people that had an influence in your life. If you were to talk about an experience or someone else that ha has been a major influence in your life, who would that be and why? 
well, yeah, uh, obviously my parents, some of my uncles, but when I started working after graduating from, uh, from college, I was very lucky to have a, a very good uh, boss. He was really a mentor who uh, really guided me through uh, the best practices in engineering because that's how I started my career. Uh, but also very importantly, again, some professional values. So uh, I remember him uh, and I, I'm very grateful because he, he did a very good job teaching me and guiding me. He was really a mentor. Yeah. So tell me, uh, you know, you got through high school, you had some great mentors, you had some early experience in the CPA firm, which was terrific. So, you know, gave you some early exposure in a professional setting, I presume. Um, what did, where did you go to college? What did you major in and why? Yeah, I, I loved uh, mathematics, chemistry, uh, physics. So I decided that that combination was great for a chemical engineering degree. So uh, I decided that I want to go to a, a national university in Mexico, which was uh, the best option at that time. And uh, that's where I, I, I went and I got my BS in chemical engineering. Right. And after you got that uh, bachelor's in chemical engineering, a lot of people go into, you know, oil and gas or something else. What, what was your first job with your chem E degree and, and why? Yeah. One of my professors invited me to a, an engineering firm. He, he was the owner of, of, of that engineering firm. And at that time in Mexico, there was a boom in the oil industry, you're right. So uh, I started working in that engineering firm in basic and detailed engineering, mainly uh, projects. Uh, I spent a few years working there. Uh, but not only, uh, I started in chemical and petrochemical projects, and then I moved to uh, food and CPG projects, uh, doing different activities there. So I, I also uh, learned those uh, projects that were very interesting. You know, I hadn't thought of that segue, but it makes sense. People often don't realize that oil and gas or those products and byproducts are in a lot more than our car. Yeah. pharmaceuticals, plastics, and so many other aspects of what we deal with in our daily lives. So was that your segue into the CBG space? Kind of walk us through, I think you got a master's degree, how you made that decision and where you went after. Yeah, uh, I was working on these projects and obviously uh, uh, that required a lot of uh, technical skills like uh, engineering and uh, these kind of things. So I, I started realizing that I also like the uh, business uh, side. Uh, when I was growing as an engineer, I was in charge of controlling the budget and uh, some other activities. So I was convinced that uh, it would be a nice addition to have an MBA. So uh, I, I started uh, with the MBA, but I didn't want to uh, stop my uh, professional career, so I continued working, and I started my MBA as an executive MBA at nights. So uh, I did that uh, during three years, so I got my MBA degree while continuing working as an engineer. Wow. Yeah, and that takes commitment, and um, 
and in the evening. So you're still working at the same company, the same oil and gas company when you did this? Uh, uh, yes, I, I was still working at that, song, at that company. But when I graduated uh, with the MBA uh, degree, I received an offer from uh, a global company in the paper paperboard industry. Uh, this is a company from Ireland. Uh, it's a big company, global, and they recently had acquired a Container Corporation of America. The name of this group is uh, Smurfit. So I was offered a, a position as the finance director for one of the divisions. And I was really surprised because I said, I'm not a finance person. And what they said, that's exactly what we want. We want a, 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 a person with an engineering degree, with an MBA, and uh, with a business vision. So it was a great opportunity for me because I, I had that characteristic. I, I was not a, a real finance person at that time. So I, I spent uh, three years with them working as the finance director for that division. Let's pause there for just a second. So you're in Mexico being hired by an Irish company for a job in finance, which you had no experience in. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you just diagram that out. That's pretty interesting. There's a lot, a lot of interesting kind of juxtapositions there and overlaps, right? Yeah. Oh, it was very interesting. As I, as I said, I was very surprised to, to get that job. Uh, but it worked really well because I think what they were looking for was more analytical skills, uh, business sense, and, uh, you know, like a fresh vision. They were not interested in uh, old traditional finance uh, person. So it was great for me because I learned a lot of uh, the finance function, you know, uh, very much focused on uh, budgeting, forecasting, cost analysis, these kind of things. And it really uh, gave me a very solid background as a, as a finance person. So that, you're hardcore in business at this point. You're, you're no longer doing chemical engineering work, right? Yeah, this is, absolutely. You're a business person, finance kind of lead in a multinational very quickly. Yes, yes. And well, this leads us into the next, into the next, right? So you've had a lot of learnings. What can you say? What have you enjoyed the most or least about your work? At that time? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Smurfit was a, a very structured company. They had a lot of processes, very much oriented to technology, IT. Uh, at that time, it was uh, remarkable. So I learned a lot about that, uh, you know, uh, software and computers, uh, but basically uh, processes in terms of uh, uh, how to prepare a budget, how to conduct a business review, how to analyze a, a, an investment project. So I think it was uh, fantastic for me because uh, I, I took uh, this as a learning experience. It took three years. And then I, uh, because of that, I, I, I had the opportunity uh, to be recruited by PepsiCo, which is really a global company. Yeah, let's talk about that. What attracted you to PepsiCo? And Give us a snapshot of your career progression within Pepsi. Well, yeah, PepsiCo is a global company with uh, huge brands, and they have a very strong presence in, in Mexico, obviously, uh, and in, in, in general in Latin America. So uh, uh, PepsiCo has different businesses, uh, very strongly in uh, 
savory snacks, uh, but also uh, some other businesses. And obviously the beverage business that is very well known because of soft drinks and some other beverage. So it was very, very attractive to me. Uh, and I was uh, invited to work with them as uh, a finance person. So uh, interestingly, I started uh, for, uh, it was like nine months uh, training process as the controller of the company. Uh, of the Sabritas is the name of the company in Mexico, is the savory snack. So again, it was very interesting for me because obviously I'm not a CPA, so I had to learn of uh, account receivables, accounts payable, uh, payroll, these kind of things. So I learned a lot and I was very excited because I knew that uh, in PepsiCo, the ceiling is really high. So it's, it's a great opportunity to grow and develop your uh, professional career in that company. So you started uh, two times in a row. You get your MBA, you're immediately thrust into a finance leadership role. You go to Pepsi, a very sophisticated, large global brand. You're over savory snacks um, within the Mexico business. And you really had to, what, establish the finance function or mature the finance function right coming into the door, it sounds like. Right. Yeah, I, at, at that time, I I was convinced that uh, finance was the, the, the right function for me and that I was going to develop a career in, in finance. And, you know, when you were introduced, because I think this is very instructive for all of us, these are new opportunities. You, you start as a chemical engineer, and now you're running finance functions relatively still early in your career. Were you ever trepidation? Were you worried? Were you scared? Where did you get the um, confidence, right, and comfort with taking on a new challenge like this? Yeah, well, I, I'm a good learner. I... I, I, I dedicate a lot of time to study and learn the processes and learn from other people. I think that's absolutely important. When I, when I started as the controller, I had some people around me that they were really experts on, on that matter, CPAs and expert in accounting and taxes. So that was very helpful. And then uh, I moved to, to the planning area, which was also within the finance function, but more, more related to, uh, to the business uh, aspects. So it was <clears throat> a great opportunity to, for me. It, 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 it was related to business planning, forecasting, uh, project uh, investment evaluations, these kind of things. So I, I really enjoyed that too. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something, just an observation. I really believe people are kind of their pattern. Um, I sense that you really like to learn mm -hmm. and you really like the analytical challenge of some level of complexity and a new opportunity with tangible impact. I, is that accurate? Did, did you like the analytical challenge? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yes. I, I really enjoy uh, analyzing numbers and analyzing problems and uh, trying to identify the, uh, the causes of, of the problem and potential solutions, creating different scenarios. Yeah, I, I, I love doing that. And, and uh, one quick pause. It's funny because I, I always find engineering to be a great background mm -hmm. for almost anything you choose to do. Tell me if I'm wrong, but you were mathematically inclined. <laughs> and and it, you, it almost gives you a discipline to how to solve problems. In fact, great engineers, everything's a problem to be solved, and they have a great tool set and critical thinking mind, often a quantitative tool set, 
Do you think that served you well, even though you didn't stick with chemical engineering? That served, served me very well. Yeah, that created a, a like a mental structure, yeah. and uh, it was a, a a way to approach problems and define solutions. Absolutely. So walk us through the rest of Pepsi. You know, you, you did a lot yeah. there, right? Planning, yeah. that's where we, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I enjoyed planning uh, in, in, in these companies, in Sabritas. Uh, uh, then I also managed treasury and uh, strategic planning. Uh, and then I, I was involved in several acquisitions, in uh, M&A activities. Um, finally, I was... Uh, moved to another division of PepsiCo, a cookie company in the north of, of the country of Mexico. Uh, so I became uh, like a general manager of uh, one of the divisions of that company in charge of several manufacturing plants and uh, several business, mainly related to flour, uh, wheat flour, and uh, some flour mixes. So it was an interesting opportunity because that was a combination of my, uh, you know, engineering back background, but also a focus on, on a business uh, and managing a business. And after that, I became the CFO of, of that company. So that was really like the culmination of my finance, and my, my, my finance uh, uh, journey uh, as uh, the CFO of that big company. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, my main focus as CFO was uh, to become a business partner. I, I was not really uh, like a f traditional finance person, but more uh, oriented to how to add value to the business, working with, with all the areas of the company. Uh, so after a few years, I became the CFO, senior VP and CFO for Latin America which was really a huge challenge for me because that included several uh, countries in Latin America and the whole portfolio of PepsiCo. So not only savory snacks or cookies, but included also the, the, the big brands like uh, uh, Pepsi-Cola, Gatorade, Quaker. And uh, the most interesting thing was that uh, the, the business is so different in each country. So... You know, operating in Brazil has nothing to do with what you do in Mexico or Argentina. Uh, even if uh, all countries are in Latin America, they are so different. So it was really, really interesting. Yeah, I, well, I, I've always been amazed by, uh, it's funny, I previous life worked with Whirlpool where our, our Latin American headquarters was in Brazil. And even the currency fluctuation issues in some of the countries uh -huh. were 50, 100% year over year. The complexity they had to manage was unbelievable, let alone being kind of over all these different categories. Uh, how did, I mean, that's a big role. Yeah. I, I, you know, and we could probably spend three episodes just on that role. We won't. <laughs> but what, what, what did you learn? I mean, you had a great deal of success and career advancement and impact within Pepsi. 20 years. Yeah, if you had to distill it down, is it be opportunistic, always learn? What What are the key lessons that you would want to share with our audience as far as what you learned in your Pepsi experience? Yeah, well, uh, PepsiCo is a great company uh, with global brands mm -hmm. and uh, with best practices everywhere. So, But very importantly, uh, they were 
always believer of local culture. So it was a combination of global practices uh, with uh, local execution. Uh, because of, uh, you know, the culture, the business maturity, uh, the uh, talent that you have in each country is different one versus another. So that's, that's what I really enjoyed. And I, I learned that uh, having a, the right combination of global brands, global practices with local execution is really successful. Yeah, that, that, there's a lot in that. I, so at this point in your career, you've worked for an Irish company, worked for an American company. Right. You'd had, uh, you moved from finance function to general management function to corporate function over, I don't know how many markets in Latin America, but a whole lot. Mm-hmm. With, with a lot of different product lines. As a leader, how did you mature? I mean, how did you think you changed as a leader and how did you lead differently, you think, towards your end of time there at Pepsi? Yeah, well, one of the key uh, strategies when I created my staff as the CFO was to integrate uh, talent from all the regions. So, uh, for instance, my controller was from Mexico, but the uh, planning director was a person from Venezuela. Uh, the IT person was from Brazil. Uh, so that that gave us a lot of credibility with the countries, but also uh, we incorporated different points of view and perspective. So it, it, it was a American company, a global company, but really diverse with uh, uh, with a, uh, with diverse talent and, and uh, people from different countries. So that that was important. And the other thing is kind of respect the the culture and uh, and and the difference that each country has. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. You know, Fernando, you've had great experiences, phenomenal career journey. Surely along the way, you've had a, a challenge or mistake throughout these years. If, if so, what, what, what would you share with us? Uh, yeah, well, several challenges and uh, uh, several mistakes as well. Uh, the economic environment in Latin America is always a challenge. I mean, it's so difficult. Uh, we face very difficult economic crisis in Brazil very high inflation in Argentina, uh, all the situation in uh, Venezuela with uh, the no, no possibility to uh, take cash out of the country. So all the cash that was generated in the country had to remain in Venezuela at that time. Uh, so a lot of, of, of challenges from that uh, business perspective. Uh, I guess from uh, the, the talent perspective, it's also a challenge because uh, culture and style, business style is so different. So you have to learn how to identify uh, those differences to really assess if, if those persons are really what you need in the business. And uh, in, in terms of uh, mistakes, yes, I, I, I remember... Uh, uh, we invested a lot of time in one of uh, uh, one, uh, one potential acquisition, uh, and uh, we were evaluating the acquisition for several months. Uh, we were convinced that this was really uh, attractive for PepsiCo, mm-hmm. 
And finally, when we presented that to uh, uh, the headquarters in, e in New York to senior management, they decided, no, this is not a category that, I w that, that we are interested in. Uh, so I guess our mistake was that we didn't uh, confirm that situation several months before because we invested a lot of time and resources for something that was not uh, really materialized at the end. Awful, yeah. So to getting key stakeholders bought in and involved early in the process, especially for big decisions like that. Absolutely. Is, uh, you know, there's the people side and there's the analytical side, the task and the people. And there's all, both, both filters obviously really important as a leader. Um, let's pivot out of that. That I, You were at Pepsi and kind of ultimately after 20-year run, really good run, right? I'm sure you were a hot commodity on, you know, a lot of, I'm sure you're getting recruiter calls, et cetera global experience. <laughs> Kenna, where did you move next and what was behind that? Well, yeah, at that time I was really interested in, in running a, a business. I was interested in becoming a, a, a CEO. So uh, there, were, there was not a lot of opportunities for a, CFO, uh, for a CEO position in, in PepsiCo, especially when you were coming from uh, the finance function. Uh, in PepsiCo, they, at that time, they would prefer uh, people from marketing, from sales, and I think it's, it's just a natural trend in that business. So I received an offer from 7-Eleven. 7-Eleven uh, in Mexico is a, a, a very big convenience store chain. In fact, in, it's, it's the largest in, in the world with 80,000 stores. In Mexico, it's a big business with 2,000 stores. So they invited me to start as the CFO with the uh, idea to become the CFO, uh, the CEO in the future. So that's what I did. I took that offer. I considered that was really attractive, and I took that that challenge. I took that risk. Yeah. Yeah, because you know, twenty years is tough to leave, right? You've carved a pretty cool path and had a lot of successes. We asked about one failure, but you've had a lot of successes at Pepsi, obviously. How was it to transition after 20 years with one company? What, where do you think you did it well, and where did you stumble, if at all, as far as that transition? Well, it was difficult. The, the, the companies are so different. Uh, retail business is a low-margin business, so you have to be very productive, very efficient, taking care of expenses, trying to do more with uh, less resources. So that was a, a, a big difference. Uh, obviously, PepsiCo is a huge company. Uh, and 7-Eleven uh, is also big and important, but uh, the nature of the business is so different. The other uh, interesting thing is that uh, uh, it's a very 7-Eleven uh, and all the retail business is a very demanding job because, as, as you know, uh, the stores operate 24-7. So everything happens in the, <laughs> in the store during one day. Uh, so you have to be on top of all the details. So uh, I think that that was a big difference. So you were there, uh, gosh, 10 years. I assume you did pivot from CFO to CEO role, ultimately. Mm -hmm. uh, what are you most proud of in your time at 7-Eleven? Well, I... When I started as the uh, CEO, I started a campaign that the company should be focused on customer. Uh, 
the, comp the company was really focused on customer, but I tried to elevate that uh, culture. So we started with this uh, practice of saying the customer is the only boss in the company. So everybody was focused on that, and we were always trying to satisfy customer needs. So that, that was, I would say, the, the main purpose of, of the company. Uh, we created a KPI that was number of customers per store day. Uh, the, the indicator was always there, but that was the number one KPI for the company. That's what I did. So how many customers are you attracting to the store every day? Okay, and everything uh, was a result of that. If you bring more customers, you will have better sales, you will have better profits and everything. So that, that was one of the things. The other one was innovation. So uh, expanding the assortment, uh, bringing uh, to the store more products and offering uh, more alternatives to, to the customers, including services. Services was a big avenue uh, to grow. Uh, services like financial services, so you, the customer could pay uh, bills at the store. Really? Uh, yeah. Interesting. Uh, so that was an interesting avenue. And the other one was developing a delivery uh, business that, uh, you know, uh, customers could order by phone or online, and the products would be delivered to their homes or offices. And uh, th that was also an innovation in, in Mexico. So it was interesting. And I would say the other one is uh, the development of hot foods. Uh, you know, convenience stores are now a great alternative to uh, to eat at the store or, or grab your, your food there. Uh, but the customers are obviously uh, looking for high quality, uh, good taste of the products. And so that, that was really the challenge. You know, it's interesting. We, we uh, just last week, we didn't have time to drive through. We stopped at 7-Eleven, got a hot dog. You know? <laughs> yeah. and, and that's more me driving that. I think I'm okay <laughs> with it. But, but you're right. It was very convenient. It, was, it certainly met the threshold of taste and, and it worked it relatively quick and certainly available. And you see more breakfast items. You see the heating pads. So some of these services, are. it sounded like customer-focused with a lot of innovation. I mean, you spouted some very interesting services, financial services, stuff I actually you haven't even seen, not that I've looked, but the 7-Elevens here. Mm -hmm. um, that's pretty creative. Was that risky, do you think, to kind of introduce some of those innovations? Yeah, obviously, yes. Uh, uh, both in, in food and, and services, you always have a risk, uh, something that the uh, customer will not uh, be interested in, in buying. There's always uh, a lot of research, market intelligence, what the customer needs, what the competition is doing, what kind of opportunities are. But there's always a risk, absolutely. Yeah. You know, the other, I guess, is a risk in doing nothing too, isn't there? Right. Yeah. There's risk either way, right? So they. I think that's the that's the worst risk. That <laughs> it's like we, it's, I would agree with the that only guys. option we have is to not do anything. No, we, we got to. Yeah. yeah. The and it, you know you pivoted from a multinational to Seven Eleven certainly is multinational. I don't know if they're franchised in Mexico or not, but it was a Mexico-based business. It was one country, a lot of variety within one country. Certainly, how was it different leading at Seven Eleven in a very margin-constrained kind of growth from current location? 
model? Like, how did you pivot as a leader, and how did you lead differently at Seven Eleven, perhaps, than Pepsi? Yeah, uh, my yeah, my my job was different. I was in charge of uh, a, a big group of people. The, at that time, the company had fifteen thousand employees. So, uh, you know, training, uh, retention strategies. These activities were so important. So I had to create a, a very strong team. Uh, integration of that team was one of my uh, priorities. Uh, and I was uh, focused on developing the strategy of the business, but at the same time executing on a day-to-day -day basis. So that, that was the big difference. So uh, you have to take care of all the details, uh, Visiting stores, that's absolutely a priority because uh, we always said that uh, nothing happens at the offices. You have to be where the customers are. And this is basically the stores. So that, that was a big change for me. Uh, it's really interesting. So, so you went from a leader where you really had to think strategically and tactically. You had to have a unique cost focus and a customer focus. It's a new industry. You're leading across, you know, a lot of variables. I'm sure you have bosses in the United States or wherever you have to make sure that you're meeting their expectations. You put in KPIs, so there's a lot of logic there, a lot of pieces. I asked you about what you're most proud of. Heard kind of playing off of Mary Ann's question before. Did you what challenge, if any, did you have that was truly a leadership challenge, and how did you overcome it and navigate it? Well, in retail, uh, the uh, turnover at uh, uh, store level is absolutely high. It's really high. So that's a big challenge uh, for leadership because you, you have to develop strategies uh, of uh, compensation, uh, training, development, uh, career growth to try to retain uh, your, your talent and uh, reduce that turnover, that headcount turnover. So I think that's absolutely a, a big, big challenge. I faced that, and I was able to reduce uh, that turnover, but still continued at a very high level. So I think that's a, a, a challenge that uh, all the retailers in the world uh, are facing. Yeah, they really are. I mean, not only the turnover. I, I know a lot of retail establishments, we were 80%, 100% turnover a year. You know, mm -hmm. Crazy numbers. Exactly. And safety issues. And there's a variety of other things when you look at personnel and how you how do you grow and attract the right talent, have them stay is certainly a challenge. And I guess that's going to be a challenge for so much time to come, right? We're still having the same challenge oh, yeah. nowadays. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, Vrindal, as we close up, what would you like to share for our audience? What are some key lessons or learnings that you've learned throughout your career journey that are worth sharing with our younger audience? Yeah, uh, I have always considered absolutely important to develop a vision uh, for yourself. So what is what you want to accomplish in the future? It could be five, ten years, but you should have a clear vision of what you want to do. And then you have to work every day in that direction. I mean, it's not enough to have the vision, but you have to work every day to accomplish uh, the activities that will take you uh, to reach that vision. So it requires a dream, but, al but also execution every day. So I think that's, that's uh, what I have learned during these years. 
And and so what is your vision now? You know, you're running your own investment firm. Yeah. What's your vision and how are you spending your days now? <laughs> yeah, I created this uh, investment company. Uh, I had always uh, been very active trying to do some entrepreneurship activities. So, uh, yeah, my vision is to continue investing. Uh, I'm uh, in, in, in business opportunities. I don't want to operate those businesses, so I'm more a kind of uh, uh, shareholder and financial investor. Uh, I'm doing some real estate, some uh, uh, consumer packaged goods, some uh, health and beauty products. So uh, I I really convinced that that's that's what I want to do in the next uh, few years. I also want to continue as a board member in in different companies. And the other important thing is I also want to bring something to my community. So uh, I think that part of being grateful and return what I have received to my communities, I, I think that's important. So I'm I'm in a couple of uh, boards of no, no non-profit organizations and uh, I would like to expand that role in the future. Thank you. And, you know, it's funny. I find that people go through three phases in their career. First phase is get out of college. You just want a job, right? Hopefully it's ethical and doesn't get me thrown in jail. <laughs> I just need to be paid. Right. <laughs> and, and then you get to this second phase where now I want to enjoy my job, right? It's more, not enough just get a paycheck. And then there's this third phase where I want to leave, leave a legacy. I want to have an imprint and a positive imprint. And it sounds like you've, you've certainly gone through all three and are, are in the last legacy phase at this point. It's interesting. What, one last thing I'd just like to probe on. I, I, I find your background fascinating in a lot of ways, but one certainly that's unique is just your multinational experience mm -hmm. as a professional, as a leader. Um, you know, and, and we're in an increasingly globally interconnected world. Uh, Ireland, United States, however many countries in Latin America that you had stewardship over, and I'm sure there's others. What advice do you have for folks that are trying to navigate and get ahead in a very cross-cultural, even here in the United States, we've got a lot of subcultures, clearly. Right. How, how do you succeed in a, in a diverse and increasingly diverse environment? Yeah, I think the key is uh, respect for others. Uh, you don't want to impose uh, a culture. Uh, if you're a global company, obviously you will have a, a company culture, but I think the key is to respect uh, the, the culture in each country where you're operating. That's absolutely uh, important. And the other, the other thing is bring talent from uh, different countries, from different functions. Uh, so I think diversity is absolutely important in these uh, global companies to be successful. So, so get alternative viewpoints, cultures, get them around the table, and, and, and don't impose one culture above another. Yeah. And, and that takes a lot of self-awareness and stepping back and empathy, you know, and understanding Absolutely. other people. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Well, thank you so no, much. Thank you for, for sharing your, your experience, Fernando. I'm, I'm walking away to remember to dream and execute. That's what I'm talking away with. <laughs> yeah, I like the dream and execute. I like that you're just as jazzed now as you were. I mean, the, 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 how, how you talked, the energy in which you shared your story hasn't abated one bit. I can tell you're as, as energized by your work now as you ever have been, mm -hmm. which is kind of cool. 
And, and I also heard a, a, a call for more board positions. So Fernando is available. People. <laughs> <laughs> if you have a, a worthy cause-oriented board that's helping uh, certainly, uh, un, you know, less advantaged community, Latino community, uh, Fernando's is putting his hand up, as he has done with sharing his story with you through American Narrative. So thank you so much. Thank you, Fernando. Thank you for inviting